Yaron Hirschkorn here, your host of the e-commerce mindset podcast. It's been a little bit since I put on an episode, took a little break for the summer and did some traveling with the family. I was overseas in Israel, both for a family vacation, as well as seeing a lot of Amazon sellers. We did an event in Tel Aviv, which was great. And I have a couple episodes lined up here. The first one is with Tomer Rabinovich. He just finished writing a book that he put out called Ride the Amazon Wave. We talk about his experience in scaling his brand on Amazon. I think you'll enjoy the interview. The podcast is sponsored by Incrementum Digital. We're helping brands scale on Amazon with optimization of Amazon advertising. Things are changing all the time and we're on top of the latest changes and optimizations. Amazon DSP, we have a new director of DSP that we just hired that's going to help our clients take their DSP game to the next level. And we also help you with listing optimizations and influencer marketing. We also have been putting out a newsletter on LinkedIn. So if you search Incrementum Digital on LinkedIn, go to our page there. You can find our weekly newsletter that we put out that has updates into what's happening in the space, as well as my personal LinkedIn and other social media. The podcast and YouTube is also sponsored by 8fig.co. I'm an advisor at 8fig and they help you get growth capital for your business while allowing you to visualize and use tech to also manage your supply chain. So if your business is growing, hopefully, and you need to continue to order inventory and launch new products, check out 8fig.co. Enjoy this episode with Tomer Rabinovich. Okay, we have with us today on the podcast, Tomer Rabinovich. Tomer is an Amazon seller. He's a sought-after speaker, coach, and now best-selling author of Ride the Amazon Wave. I have a uh, rare signed signed edition of the book here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hi, Liran. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So we first met in, I think we met in Hawaii in 2018. We were at a mastermind that Manny Coates and Kevin King ran. I guess it was part of Helium or maybe not, but it was called the Illuminati back then. And definitely a lot's changed since uh, in, in just a few years, it seems like a lot has changed in terms of selling on Amazon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I actually took some time to do a little bit of research and you actually have pretty interesting history. You started performing magic when you were 10 years old. So what kind of drew you into getting into magic and becoming a performer? Yeah, I think as a kid, I was a very shy kid. Still am. I think I'm an introvert in every bone of my body, but basically I was just a shy kid. And I think magic opened my eyes on how I can talk to people and get them engaged. And for me, what was interesting about doing magic is I always thought that adults know everything growing up. And then when I started doing magic tricks, I realized that's not the case. So I really liked doing actually magic for adult audiences very early on. And I started performing for adult audiences at a very young age as well. And I also performed all over school. And when you perform to your friends at school, that's like the tough, toughest audience you can ever have. But yeah, that was, I've done that until I was 27 year old, years old. So wow. for a long time. Wow. Yeah. I find sometimes there's a lot of parallels between our past and present because today you still speak in front of audiences. You're performing, but not magic, teaching, entertaining audiences. So it's interesting how our DNA still lives in the future future things that that we end up doing somewhere between that time too you went into into the military as well did you find that do you think that 
is something that helped prepare you for entrepreneurship at all, having your own business? Like, did any of the skills translate over? Yeah, so I was just very fortunate. I think I had serious knee problems growing up. I played tennis for a few years and I was growing really fast. I'm like two meters tall. I think that's a six, six or something or a six, five. I don't know. There were, um, there were a lot of, a lot of comments on our, my picture next to you because I'm short, I'm five, six and yeah, yeah you're like a foot taller than me. So yeah. I post this picture and then the comments were about the height difference. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I had knee problems, so I couldn't fight or anything like that in the military. So I was in intelligence and what I've done there is that that's where I learned everything about spreadsheets basically. And also, I think I was very fortunate and lucky with my commander in chief in my actual service after the basic training. And he really taught me how to be an entrepreneur. I think he really ran a very lean machine with his very small team and gave us the freedom to do whatever we want without putting any pressure on us and was really a good leader, I think. And now he's a teacher, actually one of the nicest guys I ever met, I think. Wow. Do you find that's a good thing when it comes to leadership, like not necessarily micromanaging or giving leeway to your team because i find i'm like that but i know there's people that are totally the other end yeah i think it's a matter of of what you want and who you are i think i'm very laid back i don't think i'm putting too much pressure on my team at any given time and for me i think it works I, i hate micromanaging and i don't believe in it myself I don't believe in like hourly pay. I don't believe in any of that stuff. If someone is, I would prefer like smart and lazy in, in, right. in the opposite. To me, that's a much better thing to have. And if someone finishes the work fast and they don't have anything to do, great. Go to the beach, do whatever you want. That's fine. Yeah, I follow the same philosophy. So b- before you got into e-commerce, I think I read you were, you actually lived in the US for some time. Uh, only for a short period of nine months in the US, I was selling magic kits in kiosks. <laughs> Uh, in the US. My philosophy there was uh, let's learn about sales. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, Rob Kaisaki, and I read a bunch of other books on business and stuff because I, I knew I'm going to be a magician at some point and said, look, I need to learn sales. What's a better way than just working in, in those small kiosks that basically just take your money for no reason? So I was selling magic kits and that was a very fun experience for me for nine months. And then my visa ended and I had to go back to Israel, basically. Yeah, that's one of the hardest sales because it's really, you have to really, most people don't go to the mall with the intention of going to one of those kiosks. You really have to take that foot traffic and bring it in and get attention and not be afraid to disrupt people. And it's like an Israeli trade. Like my my nephew also sold in a kiosk in in a mall here. And it is like an art and you have to be not afraid to be rejected constantly to be able to do that. Yeah, you get much more rejections than actual sales. And I think my approach was different. I think most people in the kiosk I worked in, and none of them were magicians or anything. They were just like salespeople or just finished the army or whatever. They were selling to teenagers, telling them how they can hit on girls and stuff like that. And I was, I was stopping moms and I told them, how many hours is your son playing? Like how many hours does he spend on his computer or TV or whatever? So I told her, look, right now, if he starts doing magic, he's going to do it for you first. He's going to piss you off, but then he's going to show it to his friends at school. And maybe he'll start doing shows and maybe someday, one day he'll come and work here with me. That then, was my sales pitch. Yeah. So you're trying to kind of agitate them with the problem and then show them a solution, which, you know, can translate into like e-commerce sales also. So then you went back to Israel and then you, that's when you kind of got started with e-commerce. No. So I got back to Israel. I went to college. I think my parents forced me to go into college. 
So I went into the easiest place to do it, which was uh, up north, study economics and business, again, for the same reasons. And then on, in the last year of school, I, I was the head of student body. And in Israel, at least it's like a bigger deal because you're not 20 year old, you're already like 27, 28 years old. So I was doing that and I had 30, 40 people underneath me, basically volunteers, students working with me as well, trying to make it all like a better place for all of us uh, to be in. So that was a really cool experience. And then after that, after graduating, I started have, working on a day job, pretty boring job, and then started e-commerce at the same time, just took ASM course back, launched my products, and that was it. Got it. And then, you, so you started and to sell on Amazon, and I guess at some point, was it by accident or more purposeful that you got into help other sellers? I know you've put on a mastermind event in Israel called Top Dog, and have also done what I've seen is like small group coaching with brands and as well. How did you get into going from a seller to that world of teaching? What happened for me was, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs start a business because they want to solve a problem that they didn't find a solution for it. So they were just saying to themselves, look, I'm going to do it myself. And that's it. So what happened with me was I signed up for the most expensive masterminds at the time to learn from the best of the best, basically in the industry. And every event I went to, it doesn't matter if it was a big or a small event, all of them were pitching me their services on stage, off stage, and sponsors and all of that. And I was really pissed at that. And then I decided, okay, I'm just going to do my own event instead. So I started doing Top Dog. That was 2017 in Israel. At the same time, I think I started speaking at events. That was a complete fluke, I think. Like I, I was all about giving value. So I went to Amazing.com event in Barcelona. I got up on stage to share a tip uh, and won like a $500 gift card or something. And then that got me to speak in Romania. And then I went to another amazing mastermind. And then that got me to speak in Hawaii, actually, as a, like a long uh, term event. And then I decided to do my own event. In Israel, I think we had 20 people in the first one. Second one, we had, I think, 40 and then 60. And then and we wanted to keep it small. We didn't want anything too big. And right. then we did another one three months ago in Bulgaria for the first time, which was a lot, of, a lot of fun. And there we had, I think, like 70 people or something like that. Always like a small event. And our event, what I said is I'm just going to bring the best sellers I know to speak. So you only have sellers speaking and then only sellers attending. So you don't have any service providers at the events or anything like that. So the event was the first thing I've done when I spoke on stages at the same time, I didn't have anything to sell. I never talked about my event on stage. You've seen me speak multiple times. I never sell right. anything right. on or off the stage pretty much. So that's how I got. And I really enjoy speaking. That was really missing to me from not being a magician anymore and not just sitting on my laptop every day and just doing that. So to me, that was important to have that as well. And then with consulting, so I went to an event in Romania and over there, we kind of, I told people they should start their own masterminds. Me and a few friends told the same thing. And then they tried that, didn't really work out. And then they brought me in as a coach to coach them up. And that kind of, and they asked me, how do you select products? So I said, oh, I have a spreadsheet for that. Or, oh, I do this. Or, and then I started building content behind it. And then I just started offering that as a service to do like small group mastermind coaching to four or five sales at a time. I've done, I think, over, I don't know, 250 people by now. So in the past, like, four years. So done a lot of those groups and mainly for bigger sellers. And I can say that I'm learning from every group that, that I'm coaching. I think you also, you have a PPC agency. So let's say I want to know what's working in PPC. 
I can go to an eight-figure seller selling supplements and ask them, but they will only know their products. They will only know their brand. And if I ask you, you've seen thousands of brands by now. So I think it's the same thing for me. I've consulted so many sellers in pretty much every single niche out there, every category, every product imaginable. I think that has a lot of value. So that's why I can come in and consult a $50 million business on things they didn't even think about. You've seen probably most of the challenges that people have in their in their business. And I imagine it's also helpful for your own business, right? To, to see bigger businesses or just businesses with different different challenges. Definitely. And I think a mastermind, honestly, is a lot better than one-on-one. If we do, if I consult you one-on-one and I tell you, Lirani, you should do this. And you say, no, then that's the end of the conversation. But if the other four people say, yeah, Lirani, you should do that. So you will probably do it. And the other thing that happens even more often is that I'll tell you one thing, another guy in the mastermind will say another thing. And then I'll say, forget what I said. That's actually a lot better. You should do that instead. So it's like very smart people. I know most of them are seven figures and up. It's a very interesting conversation. And also, I think for a lot of advanced sellers, it's very difficult to meet other advanced sellers like them that they don't already know. Even if you go to a big event, it's difficult to try and find those sellers. Or if you go to even a small event where you have 10, 15 sponsors there, it's tough to find the sellers between everyone. Definitely. I know, yeah, it was early on, maybe 2018 or 2019 that you were running an event and I was interested in going and I couldn't go, but I respected it because I would also appreciate it from a seller's point of view to pay for an event and then appreciate not getting pitched and having uh, no biases in terms of who's presenting or certain products or services that are, that are getting pushed. I think it's I think there's value in sellers meeting service providers, and there's also value in sellers not meeting service providers and only only talking to, to other sellers. And there's not too many groups that won't take that sponsorship money when they're, when they're doing events, which means ultimately you have to charge the sellers more. And I imagine that's why it's more high level, kind of smaller groups than the mass market people that are starting out that are going to go to the events. Yeah. And honestly, for me, I will just say this as well, but my money, you can say, my profit doesn't come from the masterminds. It doesn't come from the event. It actually comes from like deeper partnerships I do with either aggregators or SaaS companies, or it just depends on what. But I have equity in multiple companies. I know you do a lot of the same stuff as I do in like different aspects, but that's my approach. So I think it's, it just depends. Like there are a lot of events out there that are making the profit on the event. So they have to bring in a lot of sponsorships. They have to do all of that. That really takes away from the value of the event, I think. And I think in general, that's great advice, right? If you are, if you have expertise in an area, don't go for the small stuff. Try to have more. First of all, you're more aligned if you have some equity with somebody else and you have upside potential that you don't have if you're just thinking about short-term money. In fact, I had this I had this conversation today with with a company. They're doing something they're doing something pretty unique actually. They're helping vendors with recovering money that Amazon owes them, which there's not really companies out there that are doing that and they've recovered um, some really large amounts of money for some really big brands and they came and it came to me and the first thing I'm doing is I'm just introducing them to, we don't have too many vendor clients, but I have one that's really big and I'm introducing them to them. And then after, and these can make big commissions. I'm like, look, I don't really care about the commission about this. Like I want, after we do this, let's talk about some upside the company, but I'm not really interested in like affiliate or short-term, short-term commissions, which is a few 
hopefully reach a point where you don't you're not relying on that money then you can take bigger bets and opportunities and i think even for people listening there's probably a lot of people listening that other people ask them for advice on their brands etc and you could take you could take a some coaching money, but you can also try to form better partnerships, at least with quality brands where you could actually yeah, have- So what I'm doing, my, my entire strategy is this, like I do the masterminds now and those that I really like, like the brands that I really like and I see they implement a lot, it's like a four months process. Uh-huh. I basically offer them to be a part of their brand for a small equity when they exit and I help them grow their business towards an exit. So that's where I make my money. It doesn't come from whatever we charge for the mastermind. The masterminds are like deal flow in a sense. Basically, yeah. but the way I think, I think any anyone should think about long-term and just like anything that is short-term, like a few thousand dollars here or there, that's not how you're going to make a significant amount so you can be financially free, right? So you have to think long-term and you have to think that, I, I love this like Jeff Bezos philosophy that every day is day one. So if you think, okay, I have this mastermind and this is day one. So what's going to be like, that's my lead magnet, let's say, what's going to be day two. So in your case, like the agency, so you bring in a new client, if that's day one, then what's next? Right. So that's how you can think about this. And I think that really helps at least to me. And now I'm thinking like the exits that can be day one. And then what can I do after with the sellers? Maybe I can even build something bigger with them later on. So, and for those again, listening at the same time, you have to be very selective, right? Cause every brand you say yes to is potentially other brands you would need to say no to. So uh, I imagine you, I imagine there's people that might ask you, Hey, we'd love to give you equity to advise us, but they're not in the, they're not either in big enough or proven enough, or yeah. you don't think there's enough upside. Yeah. What happened a lot, by the way, it happened multiple times already is people say, I want to give you equity and you consult. I'm like, you need to go through my mastermind first. And I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, so <laughs> you're not a good fit. Right. For this. If you don't want to sound, implement some of my stuff in four months and do your homework and stuff, then it's not a good fit. We need to go right. through that first. And it's a great opportunity for you to get to know them, right? Before you get married. You're... And the opposite as well. They need, to know, right. they need to know me, they need to trust me as well, because once we sign the contract, it's done. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really smart approach. And again, like you have skin in the game, so it's a good opportunity for you for the brand. So you you've been in the space for some time. You've done masterminds. You've met with thousands of sellers. What made you What made you want to write a book? Because I've not written a book, but I hear it's not so fun to write a book. You have deadlines and a lot of yeah, work, you know, uh, editing and what I say to to sellers now is that I launched a lot of products on Amazon. This was the most challenging one by far. <laughs> it took me two years to finish. So when COVID started, I made some money with some products during COVID. But what happened was I couldn't go to any events. I was supposed to be in Prague for an event. And I did it on the big screen while the event happened. And then I thought, what am I going to do? Like I have all this free time. I want to give more value to sellers. I want to meet sellers. I want to give as much as I can. And I was really consulting back then. I was really consulting bigger sellers and I didn't have any service to offer that wasn't at least a few thousand dollars to offer them, either my event or the mastermind. And I think that the way I get my happy place or my fulfillment comes from like helping more sellers. I think selling products is great, but I don't know what product you bought that you were excited about. Recently, and you don't get to, market. you don't really get to talk to the end customer, especially with Amazon. Yeah, you don't. But if you sell them, I don't know, whatever thing, whatever product, they, right. no one gets excited pretty much about anything unless it's a new iPhone and then it's like replacing the old one. So who cares? Right. It's very difficult to get someone excited about a product. But if you help someone exit or if you help someone find that gem product to launch, or if you change someone like and turn around their PPC, as you, so it doesn't matter what it was. 
but it's like a whole different thing and a whole different feeling to yourself when you do that. So the book came from, and that, that's the first thing. The second thing I will say is that the mastermind, the new exit program I mentioned, the event are all projects that have a start and an end. Right. And for me, that's much more, uh, that's who I am, I think. I tried building like a community, an active community, like a monthly payment, yearly payment, didn't really work out. I don't think it's who I am. I think I'm much better off with like projects that begin and end at the end. And that's what I liked about writing a book. I think a podcast, like hats off to you. I think that's the most difficult thing to do and maintain long-term and keep going. I think that's really the same thing for a YouTube channel or a blog or pretty much everything in the industry. Writing a book is tough, but you do it once and it's done. <laughs> and then you can relax. And that's the first thing. And also I think I've done lectures on pretty much every topic out there. I think the only one I didn't do is PPC as a topic on to talk about. I think that's the most difficult thing to talk about at an event because it's such a boring topic and there are so many different strategies and things you can talk about. And it's without the context of exact strategy you're using, it's almost impossible to give a good talk, I think. But anyway, I had all of the content ready. I had everything set up. So I said, okay, I'm going to just write a book. And it took me two years, took me... An extra year to complete, but now it's on Amazon. So right. uh, very excited. And, that, and that's pretty cool because it's something that's going to hopefully continue to live out there and your kids will one day be able to pick up. And it's pretty cool thing to leave behind that, that ends up staying there. None of your talks will ever be that way. A podcast is the same thing, right? This could be listened to in 60 years or a hundred years. It could be my great grandchildren that, that they're listening to writing the Amazon way in, in 20, 2060 or something. Yeah. And I think anyone with kids will understand yeah. that want to leave something for them to like, that's something we, we don't have. We don't right. know what our parents did when they worked and grind and we don't, we have no idea. We didn't have internet or social media or anything. I think uh, yeah, it's very different now. So what did you know? I know there's some other books on Amazon. On Amazon, my feeling is generally from seeing a lot of your content is that it, maybe I'm wrong, you could tell me, but like your superpower is operations. I don't know, I don't know if that's the case, but like systems and processes is, I think, yeah, I honestly think it's just simplifying things. I think even if we think about product selection or if you think about launching or if you think about whatever aspect of the business is just simplifying things and not overcomplicating it. Also, Top Dog. I think my entire agenda, I went to all these events where it was all about the hacks. What are the latest hacks to do? And I brought a seller who is selling in Amazon Japan. And I'm like, okay, you're going to talk about Amazon Japan. That's what you're going to talk about. And I brought in a seller who hired 100 people. I'm like, how did you do that? Just talk about that. So just talk about how you build a proper business. You know how, because right. the business fundamentals, like product selection, sourcing, PPC, supply chain, that's where the money is. It's not in a stupid hack. That's not where you make your money. So I was like, let's build an event for that. Let's just talk about the fundamentals, but on the highest level possible. And that's what the book is. So the book is not like how to sell on Amazon, that you have enough books about that, enough YouTube channels, courses. The book is for active Amazon sales who already have one to three products live. And this is how they can take it to the next level. So the first half is fundamentals, like product research until launch. Third quarter of the book is about running the business. So PPC, supply chain, KPIs. And then the last quarter of the book is about systems, processes, selling your business. And also there are two chapters of mindset. Like the first and last chapters are on mindset and kind of different, I think, than, than what is mostly discussed in the industry. 
What, why did you, I imagine that you chose to start about mindset because sometimes dealing and working on Amazon is like bashing your head into a brick wall, right? So you need to have a certain mindset in order to have success probably on anywhere, but also specifically on like- Yeah, I think I just made pretty much every mistake possible. I launched the first product, got a good hit. Then I failed with multiple products and kind of took a few steps back and started over again. I went into Shopify too quickly and did a lot of mistakes there. So pretty much did. I went into Europe, did mistakes there. So I made pretty much every mistake in the book, I think. I made and... I made those same mistakes. <laughs> I, I did Shopify, I failed. I went to Europe. It was too much. Yeah. So I did all of that. And that's why I started with the mindset. And I said, look, just stick with Amazon. Like the biggest sellers that I know, and you know a lot of the same people, I think we can agree that 99% of their sales are coming from Amazon. Like they're not. And I think the biggest seller, the what I see is mostly common is that they just take action and they keep things simple. They don't overcomplicate things. They don't try too many new things. As soon as they get a good product, they just go deep with it. They just launch more variations, different listings, whatever. They just capitalize on that product. And the biggest sellers are usually have one, two, three main products. And right. that's it. That's their business. It's not like a lot of beginners, I think, tend to think they have 20 products. They have 50, 100 products, whatever. It's not. It's yeah. not the case. Yeah, it's interesting. I had two, two interesting conversations today. One was one of my existing clients who I think that they've done 6 million so far this year, very competitive space, pet supplements. And I was talking about buy with Prime. And uh, yeah, we can add it to our site. 90 something percent plus of our sales are on Amazon. Like our website's kind of not that great. And we don't really uh, focus on it. They went into retail and Target, um, but that was a better move for them than focusing, yep. than focusing on Amazon. And another was another pet company as well that is that already has some brands on Amazon. They're launching this one new and they launched two products. And they're like, hey, we have 15 more ready to go. And I'm like, hold off put energy into these products, get the sales velocity, get the reviews and actually have good, good products and branding. But yes, another guy I know that does like 80 million a year on Amazon and it's mostly from two, two listings. And it's pretty much exactly like you said, most of the sales are coming from like the 80, 20 yeah. rule and you don't need. Yeah. They said the 80, 20 rule. I think at Amazon it's 595 or 1090 right. or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what can, you know, somebody who's who's reading the book, what do you think is going to change for them? Let's say they launched one to three products. They're doing half a million dollars a year on Amazon. What do they think? What do you think they come away with? Maybe that's different than how they came into uh, reading the book. Yeah. So I honestly think, and as a former like professional magician, I can say there are surprises throughout the book, small cartoons throughout the book. There are a lot of jokes in there. Like I just try to keep it light and playful as much as possible. And also there are QR codes spread out throughout the book to send you to the same page, which is just like more content from me. It is free and that's going to stay current as much as I can keep it current because Amazon keeps changing all the time. And I try to write a book that is timeless and that's very difficult to do with Amazon, but that's why I have the backend content. So what I will say is that in each chapter, is going to, there is going to be at least one thought or one thing that's going to surprise them that they didn't think about before. For example, in product selection, you know how they say, so I say, this is what you already know. It's like products between $15 to 60 small, light, two pounds or less, like whatever, reviews and so on. And I said, scratch all of that off. That's not correct. Right. And then I say, instead of looking for the easy products, look for the more difficult ones. Look for expensive, heavy, super difficult to ship, FDA required, patented, whatever. But if you have a high barrier of entry, once you launch it, like you only fight once. You fight that once with the sourcing it, developing it, and that's it. 
once you launch it, it's game over. Like you won't have competitors coming in every single day. If you do find that perfect product that everyone kind of recommends to do in different courses, you will basically be racing to the bottom very quickly. Or by the time you launch it, you're going to have 15 new sellers right. selling the same thing. Yeah, I think the most common post in some of the big groups, FBA High Rollers or Helium, like that I've seen over the years is, I did product research. I found this amazing thing. It only had two competitors. By the time I sent it to Amazon, there were 20. And that's because you're finding the same stuff that other people are are finding through the tools and you're keeping the filters probably very similar to what other people are doing instead of kind of going with the counter. uh, And and to be clear, like that's not what they would recommend to a beginner seller. Like they should launch whatever. It doesn't really matter. Like the first first, second product are probably like just a test run to understand Amazon, but then you should really go for the one product, the two products that you're going to run with for a while. And that could be like same brand, a different brand, I don't really care. But that's the one you're really betting on. And that should be like the, the one that will make you money. The other thing I think with bigger sellers is that the main mistake they're doing is that they're really lo- launching like the wrong products. I talked to a guy earlier today selling something uh, about t-shirts. Okay. It doesn't matter what a product is, but then he wanted to sell like a very cheap t-shirt related product that is going to make him maybe another five, 10 K a month. Now that's a eight figure business. I'm like, why do you need this product? It doesn't make any sense. And I showed him a different product. And I said, this can make you like up to over hundred K a month. And if you compare the two, yeah, it's a bigger expense. Yeah. You need to pay more, but development right. is probably going to be pretty much the same. Maybe even if it takes you three more months to develop, but you need to run PPC, you have supply chain, you need to do images, you need to do a video. Everything is the same. But you need to select like which products you go with, because I think everything from research until launch, that's the heavy lifting in this business. If you're not launching products, it's a very easy business to run. It's uh, they say like in, in stocks or you make your money on the buy, not on the sell, right? You make your money when you buy the stock, because if you buy the stock or if you buy the business or if you source the product, that's really when you're making your money. Some people come to, come to us and say, Hey, can you do product research for us and find me a product? Like it doesn't really, it doesn't really work that way. I feel like you need to learn how to, how to do it. And I've seen the most irrational reasons why people source certain products. There was a brand that I spoke to that sold like these kind of like beach tents and they had hundred different variations of like designs. And I'm like, why do you have so many variations? I said, we get a deal if we buy these like bunch of different fabrics or so that are like leftover or something. And that's, you're thinking, you're thinking about this all the wrong way. You need to have four or five variations and not a hundred different design variations with inventory, you know, going out of stock and all these issues. And I think these emotional decisions people make around sourcing that, or I have a friend, he can really get this product for cheap. So that's why I source this product or or whatever, like all the wrong reasons instead of data-backed reasons on, or doing things, doing things the right way. What do you think? The book is called Ride the Amazon Wave and Waves come and go waves sometimes crash do you do you think there will be this continued opportunity to continue riding this wave where do you see sellers having to do things differently today maybe than they did in 2018 20 2017 i know back then nobody spoke about influencers or outside traffic or branding really it was mostly find a product opportunity launch it where do you think it's the future of 20 we're in 2022, 2025, is it still the same 2030 opportunities as far as continuing to ride this wave? Yeah, so a few things. I think 
first of all, you remember that review wipe that we everyone had, I think it was 2017 or something, like that, 2016. Yep. And I was falling for yes. a lot of sellers and for my products as well. I had multiple products that were just terrible products that I was selling that were supposed to be like three and a half stars, but I kept them at 4.5 because I was just right. faking reviews because that was within TOS back then. And I think that like at that, at the same, on the same day, I said, okay, I cannot sell junk products anymore. It's just not acceptable by Amazon. So I had to reshape it, change everything and then said, okay, I'm going to put in only the good products moving forward. So I think it's very clear that we will need good products on Amazon moving forward. Also like Amazon is obviously becoming more and more competitive. I know you wrote a few posts about it. Like we're going to have products with a million reviews on Amazon. It doesn't make any sense. So I think that system is going to change at some point. I don't know how, but I think it is because otherwise if you type in a yoga mat on Amazon and you're only going to see yoga mats that are 10 years old and there is no room for newly launched products on the first page, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think for Amazon, like for the right. customer, Amazon is all about customer first. So I think it's going to be again, like product first. Second thing I think that changed a lot is PPC. So PPC bids are crazy, right? At the moment, and they just keep going up. You get more placements, more complexity. So if you, we compare this to, let's say Google ads or Facebook ads, Google ads, you cannot really do them yourself. It's crazy to think I can do Google ads myself. I don't know, seven years ago, 10 years ago, there were a lot of Israelis that I know. That's what they did. They right. did Google ads for different people and that's how they made their money because it was simple. Now, Amazon is almost there, I think. It's almost at the point where you cannot do it yourself anymore. You either need a software or an agency or someone in-house, whatever, but you need someone to do it for you. Facebook is the same thing. You say, I have this seven-figure business. I need to run Facebook ads. It's almost... Does make any sense to you to do it on your own? You're gonna hire an agency. Amazon, because it's like I sell on Amazon, PPC is on Amazon. I think it's not, it's difficult to think I need to outsource it, but I think it's almost come to that point where it's almost, I wouldn't say impossible, but if you're like a solopreneur and doing it all yourself, it's impossible to do PPC, I think, at that at that point, if you want to scale up. And I think understanding everything about PPC is difficult. I will say that the entry level is getting higher and higher. Like mm -hmm. people need to spend a lot more time to learn everything, a lot more money to spend. If you want to outsource PPC early on, it's only with a software to pay a few hundred bucks for a month and that's it. But moving forward, I think it just, it's just more difficult for new sellers to enter and it's not getting any easier, right? Anything that was like a big surge of sellers coming in or big, a lot of people started to do it. So I think it's just going to become more and more difficult, but I think that's good for anyone listening. Like anyone listening to your podcast are obviously more advanced sellers. And I think like they're in this game now, when I started, I was, I started to sell in 2015, people told me it's too late. <laughs> and obviously now it sounds funny, but I think in seven years from now, it's going to sound funny again. The right. People said now it's too, too late to get in to Amazon. What you mentioned about influencers and outside traffic, I think that's fine. I think that's nice. I think Amazon, what I understood about Amazon, my, one of my favorite questions to ask sellers, agency owners like yourself is, how do you think Amazon wants us to launch products? That was one of my favorite questions to ask. And I got, I don't know, or they don't care, or like all those answers. I honestly think all they want us to do is to bring them traffic. If we bring them outside traffic, they'll reward us with right. ranking and whatever. So 
it's fine if you have a product or a brand that is like beauty or sports or stuff that are sexy for influencers and have, let's say, feelings behind it, right. then right. great, good for you. And if you're starting a new brand, that's probably one thing to consider because that's where the world is going or is already there. But if you're not, I used to sell refrigerator water filters for the ice in the fridge, right. like Samsung, Maytag. And if you sell that product, you cannot really Instagram that. You cannot really do anything. So we only ran some basic Google ads and that was it. I think it depends on the product, right? And most products don't really fit TikTok and all of those places. And if someone says, yeah, you should definitely do it there. And I'm like, depends on what you sell. It's just not that easy to do. And it's definitely not easy to make it profitable. I highly recommend doing it when you launch a new product that really helps ranking it quickly. Even if you don't get sales from TikTok or Instagram, like Amazon just rewards you with free traffic at this point from coming from the outside. And yeah, and that's it. But after you launch it, again, I tell, this is what I consult sellers, like the biggest sales out there, just focus on Amazon. All the outside traffic, bring it into Amazon. That's right. what Amazon wants. If you're bringing it to your Shopify store, that's fine, but you don't really rank your Shopify right. store or anything. And again, I'm not saying Shopify is bad or bad business model or anything. I'm just saying that if you, I didn't see a lot of sales starting on Amazon, going to Shopify and being successful with it. I did see the other way around, like starting on Shopify and again, going to Amazon makes a lot more sense. And definitely, I think when it comes to Shopify, the products are going to be, usually you have to sell at a higher price point, either through bundles or higher price products to make the getting traffic work and more unique products. And not every, definitely not every Amazon product is a fit for Shopify and not every Shopify is a fit for Amazon. But like you said, we've seen, we had a brand that sold the skincare for tattoo, Mad Rabbit Tattoo. They were on Shark Tank. They were on Shopify. They already had hundred thousand plus followers on Instagram and their price point was like $17. So they can come on Amazon, compete with the $15, $16 products in the niche and take over, which is what they did. But I had a guy that approached me that had, he had a brand he was a former Olympic athlete and he had a brand for actually Israeli and he had a brand for swim shorts and the shorts had like art on them that these artists did and they're, they're really good quality. He was selling for like 80 bucks and he was on doing pretty well in shop. Don't launch it on Amazon. Like you're competing against $20 Chinese sellers. You're never, you're never going to rank. And there was no brand searches on Amazon for his brand anyway. And it's not a fit. So it's really important to understand. Do you have a chance for success and which, which channel is right for you? And yeah, I agree. I think those sellers would just focus on. Amazon have done very well. And at some point when you get big enough, you should consider other channels. But I definitely don't think if you're under a million dollars that you should veer off anywhere. And probably today, maybe even more, maybe two, three million. And may maybe then consider, you probably think higher numbers. I think if you're uh, seven figures, you can think about it if you want. And, and if you're eight figures, you, you might do it. Like, right. that's my thing. And it makes sense because most of the time, like you said, I've seen people just lose their focus on Amazon by trying Shopify and having a challenging time. And today, even more challenging with Facebook and Apple iOS changes that have made Facebook ads significantly more, more difficult and, and challenging. So great. Thank you Omar, so much for, for sharing. I hope people go out and get the book. There's a lot of uh, hours and hours, I'm sure, and a couple of years of work of Amazon knowledge that's compressed into something you can read and buy for for super cheap. And it, all the, I haven't finished the book, but all the reviews I've heard have been very positive on the book. So if so, people obviously can get the book, right? The Amazon Wave. It's on Amazon. Your website, jointopdog.com. I think they can get more information and obviously follow you on social media. I know you add 
put out a lot of content and also speak and uh, all over all over the world. And it's nice that in person events are are back are back on now, so people can see each other face to face. I think what you said in the beginning of the podcast, like one of the most important things for me early on in this space was one getting involved initially right away within like the Facebook groups and asking a lot of questions and listening to advice and then going and meeting face to face and going to a lot of events. And I was like taking in as much knowledge and meeting as many people as I could early on. And you really are the average of the five or six people that you talk to and and hang out with. And I find this space is one of the most tight knit and communities that's really sharing once it's like a David versus Goliath mentality. You're competing against Chinese sellers, against the big brand, you're fighting Amazon. And it's like community of sellers that kind of bands, bands together. Yeah. Uh, great. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Thank, Thank you. you.